This is episode 16 of the Sugar Mamas podcast, and today I have the honor of speaking with Janelle Haas, who is a volunteer school advocate. When JDRF is confronted with a 504 question from a family or a 504 plan concern, Janelle is one of their go-to people that they ask. She has been jumping in and helping parents advocate for their children in school settings for the past eight years. We are going to talk all about what the 504 plan is, what is in it, and how you can use it to make sure your child is safe and cared for while they are at school. Without further ado, let's get started. You're listening to the Sugar Mamas podcast, a show designed for moms of type 1 diabetics. Here you'll find a community of like-minded women who are striving daily to keep their kids safe, happy, and healthy while navigating the ever-changing world of type 1. I'm your host and fellow T1D mom, Katie Roseborough. Welcome and enjoy the show. Before we get started, I need you to know that nothing you hear on the Sugar Mamas podcast should be considered medical advice. Please be safe, be smart, and always consult your physician before making changes to the way you manage type 1 diabetes. Thanks. Hello, everybody. Today I am here with Janelle Haas, and we are going to be talking all about the 504 plan today, which is a very frequently asked question among parents of type 1 diabetics. And I think it intimidates a lot of people. I think it confuses a lot of people. So I'm hoping today that Janelle can answer a lot of our questions for us. But first and foremost, I'm going to have Janelle introduce herself. And Janelle, tell us your connection with type 1 diabetes. Thank you so much for inviting me, first of all, Katie. I really appreciate it. And hello to everyone. My connection is our son, Cal, is 16. He was diagnosed a month after turning six years old with type 1 diabetes. He's the only one in our family on both sides. So it was a whole new experience for us. And you work a lot with JDRF, helping them kind of tackle 504 questions from parents and people in the type 1 community. Is that correct? It is correct. I've, Cal was diagnosed, like I said, at six, and he went to a really beautiful little school and everybody loved up on him in kindergarten and first grade when he was diagnosed. And then he went to a very large public school that is second through 12. And it was a whole different animal. (laughs) And so that made me, we went through some experiences, perhaps we'll get into, and that made me become a volunteer advocate. So JDRF, when they have a question they can't answer, it's really not their thing. Uh, They field it to me and I help in any way that I can. That's awesome. I'm sure you're very, uh, very much so a blessing to them. And I think with this podcast, you'll be a blessing to many parents out there too. As they are to me. (laughs) Well, let's start with the world's most obvious question, and that is, what is a 504 plan? Sure. So a 504 plan comes from uh, that title, and it comes from the Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. There are two main laws that protect our our people with disabilities, and specifically students with type 1 diabetes and and any disability are protected under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. It protects 
elementary and secondary education students. And a plan, Section 504 plan is a legal binding document. It is a federal document that schools uh, must abide by. Uh, It's different than we all as parents of type ones or we have a loved one with type one are familiar with medical management plans or, you know, health plans, quote, but a 504 is a legal document where the other ones are suggestions. Okay. That was one of my questions. What's the difference between the diabetes medical management plan and the 504? Because when I read them, they're fairly similar to me, at least for my daughter. Okay. So the the other ones are suggestions, but the 504 is a legally binding document. Correct. And through experience, something that I all this may be a good time to say one of the most important takeaways today is that when you have your 504 meetings, it depends on the school. Some are very particular in what they're writing on that that form, that 504 form. However, as parents, we want our children in all aspects of diabetes to be taken care of at school to keep them safe and to level the playing field for them. So you can bind the two together by simply writing the words in your section 504 plan to put C health plan. Once you put those words in, now your health plan becomes a living entity of that Section 504 plan, and it, they are held liable, legally liable for what's going on in the health plan. And it no longer is a suggestion, is it? It's now a legal binding document. Okay. So that's a good tip on how to com- kind of bind the two together. Got it. Okay. So next question, who needs a 504 plan? I mean, obviously students that have type 1 diabetes in K through 12, correct? Yes. Okay. And is this just a public school thing or does this also get into private schools, charter schools, any type of schooling for a K through 12 student? Okay. So So for 504 plans, the first thing to know is the reason we have them is to level the playing field for our kids, right? So so that they, it's not the parent who's responsible, for example, on going on a field trip. It's the school. They have to care for your child. It's leveling all those playing fields so that they're not excluded and they're given every opportunity as a child without type 1 diabetes. And so... With that said, all schools who take $1 of federal funding are included in a 504. It doesn't matter if they're private. It doesn't matter if they're a charter. Uh, Many times in my advocating, I'll get a pushback. Well, we're a private school. We don't don't do it. Usually it's not that they're being mean. They just don't understand the rules. And the rule is if they take a dollar of federal funding, they are required to have a 504 plan if the chi- if the person asks for it for their child. Okay. In your experience, do most private schools take some a dollar's worth yes. <laughs> at least of federal I've funding? I've had in eight and a half years one that didn't. Okay. Wow. They all do it. They all do it and and, and realize it a dollar for anything, a dollar for subsidizing lunch is included. It doesn't matter what the dollar's for. If they take it, they, they're responsible for having one. Okay. Because yeah, I've seen a lot of parents ask about that who have their kids in a private school. And for whatever reason, the school has come back and said, oh, we don't we do not do that. We can't handle that here. We're a private school. And you know, and I, I can see where they're coming from. Like you said, they're probably not trying to be mean. They're just not familiar with it. And it is a little scary. It's intimidating if you don't have any experience with it. But hopefully with the information, you know, in the show, people 
people will feel a little bit more empowered and informed to kind of approach their school with more information before kind of diving into the 504 discussion. I, I, I will say this too, with that point, Katie, is that sometimes parent, I'm a parent, you're a parent of a, of a type one, we get intimidated that the school may not, you know, we're going to make them mad and they're going to treat our child. They're going to take it on our kid. They're there all day. I'm not saying that that doesn't ever happen, but no, part of the section 504, there is actually a section regarding retaliation against your child. They can federally be prosecuted if you took it that far for retaliating against your child. So never, our job is to keep them safe. Their job is to keep them safe. And they're not allowed to do that on a federal law. Now, I'll have many schools that say, and districts that say, this is a big one while I'm thinking about it, is our policy is, our written this. Well, guess what? Federal law trumps everybody. It's the winner. And it doesn't matter what their policy, whether it's written or not, says. If it is differing than what the federal law is in Section 504, federal law wins every time. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting to know. Okay. So when a child gets diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, obviously it could be at any point in time in the year. So let's say it's in the middle of the school year. At what point in time do parents and educators and administrators need to sit down and have a meeting about the 504 plan? Okay. So my answer to that would be as soon as possible. Um, I would be calling as well as always writing and recording in an email so that you have a paper trial for simply many people are involved in the 504 plan. Administrators change regarding who's in charge of 504. So always email, email, email is my big thing I would give as advice and do it as soon as possible. Everybody's going to do the best they can to keep your child safe. There is no written law federally that says you must do it within a week, right? And that's a frustration when you have, you're so afraid when your child's newly diagnosed, right? So ask as soon as you can, but the, the law reads within a reasonable amount of time. You can make a 504 at any time during the year, as well as an existing 504, you can revisit as many times as you want in a year. So you have an 11-year-old who never tested on their own and all of a sudden I want to do it. And you get a note from their physician saying, yes, they're capable of doing it and they don't have to go in the clinic every time. You can amend their 504 in February in a school year to say that as many times as you need to. Okay. So you can change it at any point in time during the year. Yes. So um, let me ask this question now before it leaves my brain. <laughs> <laughs> if let's say, let's just give a hypothetical example, a child is leaving the classroom a lot to visit the clinic or the school nurse to get their insulin or treat for a low blood sugar. And the parent's are, you know, as time goes on, they get more comfortable. Maybe the child is a little older and is more comfortable managing it independently, perhaps with, you know, texting with a parent throughout the day, because that's such a big thing now that these kids have cell phones, mainly because of their CGMs. They can have that follow app and the parents can see their numbers. So if all of the sudden they have this one 504 plan in place, but now they want it to say, my child is allowed to treat in the classroom and, you know, give corrections really anytime. If the school pushes back, and says, well, we're not comfortable with that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming that's not allowed for them to say because you, within a reasonable, you know, 
kind of scope of things, you are allowed to request changes at any point in time. Like, so what should a parent do, I guess, is what I'm asking. If the school's kind of pushing back and saying, oh, we're not, that's really not how we do it. We're not comfortable with that. Sure. So a lot, uh, that happens a lot. Your physician by law can write a note, write a letter on their letterhead that says that your child is self-managing or your child is self-managing to take their own blood sugar and treat a low. However, you want to word that and there and it's a great thing right that they want to take responsibility once you have that letter request that that be put in their 504 if they some schools will say okay that's fine they'll put it in and it's done they'll send you a copy you resign it with that in through email some may want a meeting about it whatever hoops you need to jump through <laughs> hopefully it shouldn't be more that should take care of it there should never be any pushback when our son was diagnosed one of the main reasons I became an advocate when we switched schools was they wanted him to walk to the clinic and test in the clinic every single time. I wasn't comfortable doing that simply because there's 1,200 students. He doesn't need to be in a clinic where sick people are with diabetes, you know, and he has diabetes at seven years old. So that was that gate. That was one of the reasons I became an advocate. They were not happy about that. There were 11 other diabetic, you know, children with diabetes that were upperclassmen who did it that way. And God forbid we do it a different way. So, right. So I understand, my point to that is I understand it does happen. They're wrong. (laughs) And you're right. (laughs) Yeah. Is there, I can't even think of an example for this, for this question, but is there anything that's totally unreasonable for a parent to request within their child's diabetes management? Like, is there a point in time where the school could say, no, we we just can't accommodate that. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't think of an example, but I'm just curious if you've ever come across that. Oh, sure. So, so here's a couple things. And I will tell you, that's an interesting that you were use that word, Katie, reasonable, because that is, it actually says within reason when it's stating section 504, that they need to give a free appropriate public education. They need to level the playing field within reason. So I've had parents say, I want, here's a, here's a not within reason. This is not reasonable to say, and I've had a parent ask, I want you to ask my child, you know, if they look a little funny to see their Dexcom, I want you to be, and before they leave every time to look at their Dexcom, and can you just ask them throughout the day, maybe every hour to look at their Dexcom number? That's not reasonable. They cannot conduct in a classroom of, of 20 kids looking at a Dexcom every 10 minutes like we look at a Dexcom. Is it within reason to say, I want you to, if my child's alarm goes off, let them treat their low or assist them in treating their low if they need it. A hundred percent it is. Now we have, I've had, uh, I've had a very, a school say that this child was a kindergartner and they were brand new to diabetes. This school was, they never had a kid with diabetes. And they said, we can get somebody to care for him from two, from 10 o'clock to two o'clock. Is that reasonable? Well, no, it's not reasonable. Our answer was, my answer was, well, we wish he only had diabetes from 10 to two o'clock. He has diabetes 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you must accommodate. And it, it took a little time and they did. They did accommodate because that's the law. They must accommodate. Does that help? Yeah, no, it really does. And while we're on that topic about, <laughs> I like I like that comment, by the way. I know, it's, you got to add a little humor. I know, right? They have diabetes all the time, not just for six hours of the day or four hours. I wish, wouldn't that be just an improvement in everybody's life? <laughs> Gosh, that'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> 
But okay, so but like after school hours, for example, is it reasonable to expect that one of the after school workers because parents work? I mean, some parents, both parents are working full time, more than full time. Is it reasonable to expect an after care worker to be able to help a child with type one diabetes assist them as needed? reasonably. Here's a, here's a gray area, isn't it? So, so 504, section 504 reads that the point of the, of it is to level the playing field. So if a child, not, I I will answer your question, but just in a roundabout way. So if a child wants to participate in a sport that is school sponsored, the school must accommodate. There must be somebody there who understands their diabetes and is able to give glucagon, is able to do, to treat a low. They must accommodate, okay? Or they must, if it's a teenager, let them self-manage to accommodate. If it's an after-school program that is not school sponsored, perhaps they're letting somebody use the space, it becomes a gray area. It becomes a gray area. Now, if it is a school sponsored after school program, they're taking federal dollars to run that program. Mm -hmm. They must accommodate. Okay. Let's say they have a, you know, Sue's daycare coming in and that's just happens to be the convenient space for it. It becomes a gray area and I'm not going to say it can't be done. I will say it takes time. Okay. I just wanted to add, because in the end, Katie, they want to keep the kids safe too. Everybody, you know, and, and I certainly, my heart aches for those working parents and they don't want their kid being cared for by somebody who doesn't want to do it and do, isn't going to do it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. My heart breaks for everybody, really. Yes. It's just, it's just a hard uh, situation all around because that's exactly right. I mean, I won't go into detail. My diary... I mean, great detail. My daughter was diagnosed last year, the day before school started. Lovely. Oh, you're so uh, lovely. How happy. I'm so happy for like, That's just awful. How awful is that? How old is she, may I ask? She's, no, she's nine. She's in third grade. So, oh. <laughs> so many things. It was right. the day before school started of the weirdest, strangest school year in all of history. Third grade is a huge transition year for kids. And then you throw this in her face. Um, and And you throw it in my school's face because that's everybody is this past year is more than ever was stressed out, overwhelmed. They didn't know what, I mean, you know, everybody's taking it minute by minute with the whole pandemic situation. And then, and then here comes me like, Hey, my daughter just got diagnosed with type one diabetes. And now I need you all to accommodate all these things for her, which is reasonable to expect as we've already discussed, but I felt horrible. I mean, these teachers already had so much on their plate and the school did. And here I am asking for so much more, but you got to do what you got to do and you got to be an advocate for your kids. So we worked through it. I don't even remember what I was going to say. Well, I'm going to say on your point, Katie, kudos to you. And, but no, and I want to say to you and, and whoever listens, you didn't ask for it and your daughter didn't ask for it. And don't you ever feel bad advocating for her. Don't you ever feel bad because you're, we're it. There's nobody else. We're it. We're their lifeline and you didn't do anything wrong. And, and she didn't do it. it I get it. I, I laugh when I go into meetings because usually when, by time I get there, it's not good. <laughs> it's like it's, you know, it, it's rare. I get a call the first meeting. It's, you know, they're not accommodating. And so I'm the bad guy. And, and it's real funny to watch the parents get empowered and all of a sudden they realize I didn't do anything wrong. Like they just have to do it. This is the way it is. And that's a great, 
it's a great thing. It's a great gift for me to get to see it when it happens. So good for you that you did it in the worst possible t- a pandemic. My gosh, I can't imagine. I know. Yes, I definitely this whole situation has brought out the mama bear in me because I am a person who hates conflict, absolutely hates conflict. So oh, yeah, to have to approach it and be like, you have to do it. like this is not this is a law and you have to do it. I was getting some pushback from our school and I don't know. First of all, I love our school. So I don't want you to think I'm trashing. I them. love our school. And we had we ended. I love our school. It It is an amazing school. We ended up filing a complaint against them with the Office of Civil Rights. But I still love our school. And you know what, Katie, everything you do, you're paving the way for those who come after you. So don't worry about it. Well, thank you. No, and I've, I've already experienced all of that because they were they were pushing back in the nicest possible way, but still pushing back. And I had to send a lovely email, which I might actually read for the listeners after we're done recording. But, you know, just basically saying, look, she's protected under these state and federal laws. And I listed them all out. And if there's going to be a a problem, you know, I'm basically implied, I'm going to have to take it to the next level, which got their attention really quickly, as you can probably imagine. But since then, I actually knew of a mom at our school. There's very few type ones at our school. In fact, I think there's only one. There was only one other. Well, the mom that has the one other, her other child is actually going into kindergarten next year. And he also has type one diabetes. So in a way, I felt like I wasn't just doing it for my daughter. I'm doing it for this child that's coming up behind her. And then about a quarter into the school year, another little kindergartner was diagnosed with type one diabetes. And as heartbreaking as it was to hear that story, you know, there was a little bit of pride to know that I had played a small role in sort of paving a big role paving the way for how the school handles type 1 diabetes. So be proud of yourselves, mamas, for all the work you're doing. As much as we all as moms hate confrontation, it's the best kind because you're doing something important. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, Let's see. I'm looking through my questions. Okay. So when a parent, a child needs a 504 plan, typically who do they reach out to in the school? Is it the guidance counselor? Should they go to the principal first? Who should they reach out to first? For me, the nurse does not do the 504 plan, but they're integral in the 504 plan. And more importantly, in keeping your child safe, especially upon a new diagnosis, they're your right arm. They're you when you're not at school, them and the homeroom teacher or the, you know, the pod of teachers that your child has. So for a 504 plan, I would suggest um, always reaching out to, for me, I go, I email, I would email everybody. I would email the principal. I I would CC the principal and the nurse and email the guidance counselor. And I need a 504 meeting. My child was just diagnosed or I'm new at this school or they're a kindergartner whatever. And who is it that I am dealing with directly? And when is the soonest that I could have that meeting? Okay. Now when the meeting happens, who should be there. Um, I mean, I know we had my daughter's, my daughter has two teachers this year. We had both of her teachers. We had the lady that works in the, she's not a nurse, but she works in the school clinic. And then we had a actual nurse come to the meeting who has experience with type one diabetes specifically. Who else do you think should be involved? Who should attend a 504? It is 
First of all, no, the law says as a parent, you can bring anybody you want. You can have your mom there for support or your dad or your husband or your sister or your friend. I often tell parents when they take me in or they conference me in, I'm a friend. I'm just a friend, a a fellow type one mom. That way it kind of doesn't put them (laughs) at a defensive position versus I'm an advocate because they sometimes school systems systems. We want it to be a a mutually beneficial relationship. So you can bring anybody you want. You can bring an attorney if you feel that you need an attorney. And on their side, the school, it I have been in meetings where it's me and the guidance counselor, or I have been, or the nurse, or I have been in meetings where there's 10 people sitting there. And I mean, all for my son, even, it just depends on the school year, what they're wanting. When he was younger, they wanted more people. When he's older now, we just have conferences over the phone because we we know the deal. So it's just ever changing and you do what you feel comfortable, but they cannot stop you from bringing anybody in. Now, let me just add with that said, COVID places a different rule, right? Because they have to socially distance. So a conference room isn't going to hold the same amount of people that it did before. So if you're wanting an in-person meeting that they may put a stipulation on that that has to do with COVID versus 504s. But you can always request a Zoom meeting so that you can have whoever you need there. All right. Good to know. Is it reasonable to expect that your child's teacher is involved in some way? I mean, that they're on board? Is that... I mean, I'm assuming a teacher can't say, I want I want nothing to do with it, that they would just have to, I don't know what they would have to do, either get the teacher on board or move them to a different class. But is that reasonable to expect? It is reasonable to expect. As long as they're in the care of the school, the school must accommodate. It doesn't say anywhere in Section 504, only the healthcare providers must accommodate. Only, you know, everybody must accommodate. Even, and I'm going to bring up even subs must accommodate. I advocated for a child who they are, school was moving them when their teacher was sick to another classroom because the sub didn't want to do it. Well, is that fair to the child? All their little friends in first grade are in another class and they don't get to go to specials today because there's a sub. That is not leveling the playing field and that is not giving them the same accommodations as every other student in that school. They get to live their life in school like a normal kid. So yes, your teachers must accommodate. With that said, we are all human beings and will every teacher feel comfortable with that? They won't feel comfortable with that. But that's not your problem, <laughs> quite frankly. Now, as a mom, I want I want that teacher to feel comfortable. And I, I give everybody my cell phone number, speaking from a mom's point. Here's my cell phone number. It's on a piece of paper. Here's my email. Text me anytime about anything. And especially when my son was younger, they would ask. And that's a, you want that rapport and that great relationship. It doesn't always happen, but more times than not, it does happen and it should happen. And if you're feeling uncomfortable with the teacher, say, you know, a couple weeks into school that they're ostracizing your child. I've had it. I've advocated for people who has happened. Address it. Don't you, what did your kid do? They didn't ask to have diabetes. You're allowed to address that. They must accommodate. They wouldn't treat a child, God willing, that doesn't have diabetes like that. Then your child should be treated the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I guess I would just encourage every parent that's listening to, you know, be gentle because I would imagine in most of those cases where you're getting pushback, people are just 
I think, scared and intimidated. And I think we all were scared and intimidated when our child got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. We had no idea what we were doing. I still feel like I have no idea what I'm doing most days. So I think I just want to encourage people to, you know, to just put yourself in their shoes and try to experience you know, maybe their nerves. And um, just remember that we are representing the type one community. And so let's do it well. I mean, obviously, there's going to be times, situations where you're going to have to go in with guns blazing, but tread, tread gently, I would say. <laughs> I, I so agree with that, Katie. And I get so passionate about it because I, unfortunately, sometimes I see it from the, you know, I get the the guns blazing part. I'm included in it a lot, but you are, I, I say what I say so that everybody knows to be, they are protected. But I'm going to tell you 99.5% of the times that I advocate, they just don't understand or they don't know. That's all. And they just have to be taught. And you're exactly right. We are those people who are going to teach them and they're grateful for it. They're afraid just like we were. Oh my gosh. Do you remember the first time that you're giving insulin? I mean, geez, Louise, it's about this. I'm going to, you know, you take your child home from the hospital and you're responsible now for keeping them alive. Mm-hmm. These teachers have 20 other kids and they're responsible for keeping them alive. I will say if something's happening in school that, for instance, we had a student that was being told to go to the clinic every time they were low and they actually passed out in a stairwell because they were low and being told to go to the clinic to treat their low. That's not a comp- that's not keeping them safe. And when I explain to educators and to nurses, you know, I know, and this is how I always put it, I know I have dealt with enough educators. You want to keep them safe just as much as I do. You want what's best for them just as much as I do. I know you do. So let's figure out how to do that. And they do. I you're exactly right. Education is key. And un- whether we want to be or not, we are those people that get to do it. So let's get into the, a little bit of the nitty gritty of the 504 plan. What is in it? There's a lot, I'm sure. We don't have to go ever, over every single thing, but kind of an overall summary of what goes into a 504 plan. Sure. So every 504 in every school that I've been in is different. <laughs> the form looks different. You can look online and Google from the American Diabetes Association and JDRF and they'll have samples for you. But it's a very um, living document, so to speak. The main things is that for me is if it's a little one, who's administering insulin? And when and where is that insulin administered? Those matter. Who's giving glucagon? Before we had inhaled glucagon, there was a lot, and not everybody has that yet, right? There's a lot of uh, injectable glucagon still out there, and thank God for it. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of pushbacks in schools about giving glucagon and they don't want to be responsible. And you, Katie, referred to you have a traveling nurse and that's a really typical, typical thing in Florida, right? There are, we don't have the money in our school systems to accommodate having a nurse in every school. Mm -hmm. Those of us, you know, there are some that are fortunate, but those aides know work under that nurse's license. So they can do anything that a nurse does. So if you are in a school and they say, "I, I don't. I don't know how to do that, or I can't do that, or I'm not licensed to do that. They are by federal law, by Florida law, no, that those, we have a law that says those aides work as the nurse's right arm and they can do anything a nurse does. It, it, it's important to know who's given glucagon, who's giving insulin. Testing accommodations are really important and they'll change throughout your students, our students' lives, right? And when my son was seven, he was taking five minute time tests 
tests on addition, subtraction, right? Well, if he has a low in two and a half minutes, he gets more than five minutes. He's not going to finish. So I would always work in testing accommodations. If they're a student who is a teenager, it's really important to have testing accommodations that they get extra time. Even with remote learners, and it's an online test, the, the teachers have the ability to give the test more time. They can adjust that. And that becomes important to set the groundwork for SAT testing and ACT testing. If you have those accommodations in throughout, you get much less pushback on SAT and ACT testing to accommodate extra time. Okay. So that if your student needs to stop and treat a low, they're allowed to do that. You you brought up a great thing about cell phones are used for CGMs. Many schools have, our school has, you're not allowed to take out your cell phone. Our school has, our child is allowed to access his cell phone, not only for his CGM, but for communicating with his parents regarding diabetes management. And that's important because they'll see them texting and they'll come back and say the student got doc points for taking out their phone. Well, you know, that's just a simple email. Hey, maybe you don't remember. He uses that to text with us. And indeed, he was texting us regarding diabetes management. And sometimes they just forget, but it's important to have it in. Another big thing, where and when will blood sugar be tested? Because Sometimes I come against, they must do everything in the clinic. Well, if my child is 50 there and they need to double check with a meter, they're going to check right where they are. They need to treat a low right where they are, that they can manage their diabetes whenever and wherever they need. And finally, just going back to our previous part of our conversation to see the health plan. Reference your health plan or your diabetes medical management plan in your 504. Now that becomes a legal document as well versus a suggestion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that was um, probably the cell phone was a big part for us because, you know, what third grader, well, some third graders, but most third graders don't bring a cell phone to school. So that was a big deal for us. We we were told that she wouldn't be able to have her cell phone out. And I said, oh, but she will. Right. <laughs> And here's why. And again, educating them like this is actually going to take a lot of the burden off of you because I'll be able to watch her numbers throughout the day and communicate with her about what needs to be done and things like that. I will say that my daughter specifically for testing, she just recently finished two days of her state standardized testing. Yes. And, you know, we have it in our 504 plan that if she's below this number of blood glucose, she needs to stop testing and treat the low. If she's above this number, she needs to start stop testing and treat the high. But, you know, I, I talked to her about, you know, sweetie, I'm there's, it's probably going to happen that I'm going to have to text you during the test to either, you know, Hey, have a couple of glucose gummies, or you need to do a little bit more insulin. And here's how much um, she's on an Omnipod. So it's pretty easy. She can just enter in some numbers, but she didn't feel comfortable with that, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> so I talked with the guidance counselor about, can she be tested in a separate room? Because she doesn't like to be different. Yeah. She doesn't like to be different. I mean, now testing in a different room is different, but she was more comfortable with that in her knowing that, oh gosh, if mom texts me, I'm going to have to pull out a juice box or I'm going to have to pull out my PDM and give myself a correction. 
she was better with being in a separate room, knowing that if she needed to do something, she could do it kind of privately and quietly. That made her feel less different, I guess, than being in the classroom and having to pull out her cell phone during the test to communicate with me. She, I think her teachers like really drilled it into them that they could absolutely have no devices out or on during the testing. So it kind of freaked her out like, oh, I might have to take my cell phone out and I'm going to fail this whole test, which of course I assured her, no, honey, that's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, that's just an, a personal example of how we've recently dealt with that. I was going to say that's our, so our son is, was the opposite. Okay. When he was nine, he was told in his school that he must test in a different room and he did not want to do that. And so I, I communicated with the school. He doesn't want to do that. And so their answer was, well, he can treat a low, but you know, he can't be pulling out everything and he doesn't get extra time then. And I said, that's fine. You know, he had to understand the consequence of that. But now that he's 16, he is more than happy to test in an extra, in another room. And if it's accommodations of getting extra time for a standardized test and he has to pull out a juice box and he has to treat a low or, you know, we use the glucose gummies too. He, he does it and he's, it, he has no problem in doing it. But, but I, I think that's wonderful that you followed her lead. I think that's, I always think to myself, we do know best, but we're not the ones who have to live with it for sure. You know, and I want them to feel comfortable. So schools, every school will be different, but they must again, accommodate. And and if that accommodation is giving her a separate room, then they need to do that for sure. So good job, Katie. Well, it's funny because the the, um, guidance counselor had actually suggested that at the beginning of the year, giving her a separate room. And at the time, because my daughter, Sarah, was so opposed to being different, like she did not want to stand out at all, which, you know, breaks my heart. But um, anyway, I I was thinking to myself at the time, like, well, she's not going to want to do that. But turns out, that is what she wanted to do. So yeah, communication with your child is key, obviously. Yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. Can you think of any examples, uh, maybe kind of special examples, spe- special circumstances that parents should consider when they're drafting the 504 plan? I think, yes. I, I think when you're doing your 504, first, let me say, you don't have to get it perfect. We are such, you know, we just want what's best for our child, but r- never forget you can visit that a hundred times in a year if you want. There is no limit. I mean, the school may not be lovely about it after the 12th time, but it doesn't matter. You're, especially in a young person, diabetes is ever changing. So don't feel like you have to get it perfect the first time. Special circumstances Field trips seem to be a big one with little ones that the school all the time the parents went. And here's a here's an example. The parent wants to go and the school says, no, you can't go. We don't have room or, a, a, you know, I've had that happen. It's, it's a weird one, right? You'd think yeah. they'd want the help. If the accommodation is that the parent needs to help the child manage the diabetes on the field trip. The school's got to accommodate. Now, you might not be able to ride the bus, but doggone, I've I've had when my child was little, they don't have room on the bus that's transporting. It's okay. I can follow a bus. <laughs> no worries. I could, I could drive right behind a bus. Uh, not to be a crazy person, but... <laughs> I, I can tie a rope to the back of that bus. No problem. I will skateboard behind that bus yes. if I have to. <laughs> Also, the other way, um, the school uh, for working parents, you all of a sudden don't have to go on field trips. They got to accommodate. They, it doesn't have to be the nurse, but it has to be somebody who can care for your child. Te- teachers, all the, you know, I just can't even think of one example a teacher wasn't willing to help. 
I just really can't. They'll accommodate. It's usually administration that says, no, 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 we can't. Yeah, you have to. Or my child can't do track now because they have diabetes. Yes, they can because it's sex- that's a special circumstance. Here's a, here's a kicker. Not so much with COVID now, but let's think pre-COVID. You know, we don't want to accommodate your child. We don't uh, want to think about how many carbs can you spend in a special snack for the birthday that Susie's having because we don't want to deal with the cupcake with your child with diabetes. Oh gosh. Well, guess what? And and how sad. I know. Look at your face, Katie. Breaking your heart when I get a call. They wouldn't let my child have a cupcake because she has diabetes, but everybody else got the cupcake and she's six. How is a six-year-old supposed to understand that? I mean, that's like laughable. Let me take the cupcake away from the adult and see how they like it. (laughs) But (laughs) getting on a tangent. Anyways, they have to accommodate. And so that is something to bring up maybe in your 504. If you're having a special snack, please text me. I will tell you how to accommodate. Please do it before so my child can be included. That is a little thing, especially with little kids. That really matters a lot in their world to not be different. They do it with gluten allergies, right? They do it with all kinds of things. They can do it with diabetes too. And they will. They just need to have a little bit of heads up. I did put that in my kid's plan all the time when he was little. Just communicate with me for special snacks. Yeah. And if you know there's a holiday coming up, probably be wise for the parent too to reach out and be like, hey, I know Valentine's Day is next week. Were you were there going to be any special treats passed out if you could give me a heads up? I mean, not that you have to do that every time, but if you think of it and you remember, be smart to do. In fact, it's funny that we're having this conversation right this second because my daughter is actually having a popsicle on the playground right now. There you go. <laughs> because her teacher brought in popsicles for like a celebration for because they not only did they recently have state standardized testing, but this week they have like their school testing to kind of see where how they're progressing. So they finished that today and the teacher texted me last night and said, we're going to have popsicles and is that okay? And I said, of course, just I'll look up the carbs or... Wonderful. I know. I'm like, I wonder how many... I'm looking at her number on, on the Dexcom right now. She's looking good right now, but I'm expecting uh, quite a spike here in a second. <laughs> um. I I wanted to just one other thing I was thinking about was lockdown and evacuation procedures should be in your 504. Some parents like all of the items for their child's care in the clinic. Some like them on the child. So whatever you choose, make sure that wherever the lockdown area is for your child, they run those lockdown drills. They run that there are things in there to help your child if needed. That's just one I would bring up. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's good. I know first Sarah, she carries around stuff in her little backpack. Right. And then also both the teachers and the clinic have things to treat Lowe's if needed. But that's a good point wherever they take them for lockdown, which could be different based on circumstances, but ha- always have something with you. Right, right. Yes, for sure. Is there anything else that you think parents really need to know in regards to the 504 plan, um, how it's written, how to go about getting it done. I love the fact that we've really hit kind of driven home the fact that it is a living document and you can change it at any point in time within reason. I think that's so important for parents to keep in the back of their mind because I see these you know, parents asking questions on social media and I think they think I've got to get it right the first time. And if I screw it up, then that's not going to be good, but you can revisit it and change right. it. Right. And that is part of actually the federal law of Section 504, that it can be revisited as many times as needed. That's not a Janelle Hawes 
deci- I decided it is it is part of the federal law, so they can't give you pushback. I'm going to say um, just a couple last things are that when you're doing 504s, the beginning of the school year is everybody's doing them. So sometimes my child's older, we do it in the middle of the year or, you know, just that one, always visit it every year. They'll ask, has anything changed? Here's something that changed. Our child started going to school dances and had a wicked low out of dance, used everything he had and we weren't prepared. So we revisited his 504 to make sure whoever is chaperoning that from the school has something. So um, maybe don't pick the beginning of the year if you can help it because you won't get it done in the time that you need it. Follow what I mean? Now, sometimes schools will be, well, that's when we do it. And if that's okay with you, if it's okay with you, do it. But always look at maybe the end of the year or a week before school or or three weeks into school, just kind of see how your kid's doing, you know, and well, once they're in and in their groove, things might come up that you didn't think about. So, so it just know that at the beginning of the year, they're really busy and it may not get done in the time that you feel is reasonable. And then the second thing is, if you are having an issue with your 504 or even requesting a meeting for a 504, please, please, please email. Phone calls are great, but God forbid you had a situation that was you're needing to have the law in your favor. Emails are there and phone calls are not. You'll Sometimes I've had parents, they'll email and because they're having an issue and then the school will call them. And now let's hope, you know, Part of it is probably school just wants to fix it or have a conversation about it. Part of it may be, well, this isn't, they don't know. They can, I can say I said anything, <laughs> you know, it's hearsay. Always, always email. Even if you have a phone call about it, because sometimes you just need to have a phone call. If you're worried about a violation or something not being followed through, follow up that phone call with an email. Per our conversation, we discussed blah, 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 blah. Emails are important. Yeah, that's a great, that's great advice. So if somebody is having a lot of trouble, Hopefully it doesn't get to that point for most people. But if they are, we can't all take you into our 504 meetings, even though I'm considering calling you next time I have one. But who should we should we reach out to JDR, our local chapter of JDRF? Who, if we need an advocate, who should we reach out to? So I will say you you have my email and really the only, I, there's myself and um, Samantha, Samantha's mom. Oh, forgive me. I, for, I can see her face. There's just a couple of us in our world that that advocate. However, your physician, they always, you know, they probably have somebody in there that does their 504 plans that helps you with a 504 plan. I know ours does. We go to USF and they do have somebody that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another another way. But honestly, I'm happy to help in any way. And usually it's a matter of from doing it eight and a half years, uh, Dory Rivers from, from JDRF will ask me a question. I can find it in a document. I can email it back to you in five seconds and you show it to the school and they go, oh, okay. It happens all the time. So, but they can, you can Google anything just like you do in every other thing. Just be careful with 504s to make sure you're looking at the federal website and not Virginia's take, you know, the state of Virginia's take on the 504 because it's a federal document, not um, a state document. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes I sense. Don't know if that helps, but I'm happy to help Katie in, in any chance I get. I, I'm pretty good at getting back 
especially through email. Okay. Wonderful. I don't, I mean, I don't know if you want me to put your email on the yes, show you notes. Can. It's fine. It, <laughs> okay. I, I'm happy. It's my, it's my gives back, right? People help us. They've helped us so much in our diabetes journey and I'm happy to help. Okay. Thank you. If I can, I can't always, I'm just, just do the best I can. <laughs> yeah, no, I so appreciate that. That's very, very kind and generous of you. Thank you. Well, I think, I think I'm sure as soon as we hang, hang up, I'll think of like 10 other things to ask you, <laughs> but maybe we'll just have to have a part two one day. <laughs> okay. Anything you need, please ask. I'm happy to help. And you're doing a great job and thank you for what you do. This is wonderful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I just have such a, I mean, I am a mom of a type one diabetic and I just, I don't know. I just felt such a huge pull when my daughter was diagnosed to help moms in any way I could. So hopefully it's helping and I'm really enjoying it. It's fun to get to meet all these fun people like yourself. Well, I appreciate it. My kids, my kids are teenagers and they thought I was the biggest deal in the world that I was doing a podcast. And then my oldest sister said, what's a podcast? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's like a generation gap for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, enjoy your status of cool mom as it'll probably only last for a couple hours. If if it's like it is in my house, it won't. It won't uh, last yeah. long. So. That was yesterday. So yeah, okay. <laughs> <It's over. laughs> Well, thank you, Janelle. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, that is it for our show today. And one thing I wanted to point out for all the listeners out there, if you have no idea where to even begin with a 504 plan, I want you to know that I was in your exact same situation when my daughter was diagnosed. We go to a school that we absolutely love, but they had very little experience dealing with children with type 1 diabetes. They did not have a 504 plan template that they used. So basically, I got onto the American Diabetes Association website, which I will link to in the show notes, and they have a model 504 plan that you can download and kind of use as your template. So if you are lost and you have no idea where to begin, Check out that link. That is what I used to write my daughter's 504 plan and present it to the school. Make sure you read it over very carefully. Really take the time to think about your child. Every single child is different. Every single child has different wants and needs and might need different accommodations depending on their circumstances and their school. I know for us, at least this year, my daughter being able to have access to her cell phone at all times was probably on the list of top three most important things to have in our 504 plan. Because of the pandemic this year, her class wasn't even going on field trips. So field trips wasn't even something we needed to consider in the 504 plan this year. Now next year, that's probably going to be different. And that's going to be something that we're going to need to revisit and readdress when the time comes. The 504 plan is something that you and your child's school work together to come up with and draft and write. The diabetes medical management plan that Janelle and I discussed is something that your child's endocrinologist will provide to you. And if they don't, then you need to talk to them. I was very confused about the two. Honestly, they to me, they seem very similar if you read through them, but they're both necessary. And just like Janelle said, make sure you link to the diabetes medical management plan in your 504 plan. Make sure in writing it says, 
please see health plan or diabetes medical management plan. The last thing I want to do is read to you the email that I sent to my daughter's school when I was getting pushback. Were they refusing to accommodate for my daughter? No, they weren't refusing, but they, I would say, were definitely dragging their feet. Honestly, I don't blame them. It was a crazy year, and here I was throwing this other thing on their plate to deal with. However, that doesn't change the fact that she now has type 1 diabetes and requires accommodations. So for any parent out there who might be struggling to put into words how to communicate to the school that your child can attend school and can do every single thing that a child without diabetes can with just a little bit more thought and consideration, then I just want to read you this email and it might help you come up with the words as well. Feel free to use it. I'm going to leave out names, of course. Okay, here we go. It says, Dear so-and-so, I am writing again to discuss Sarah's eventual return to school. Sarah is eager to come back. My husband and I would like to come in to discuss what that needs to look like and get the ball rolling on developing her 504 plan. We understand the school's hesitancy as her diagnosis was a shock and scare to us, but Sarah has done fantastic adjusting to her new normal. We are not ones to make a scene and do not seek to cause a stir by asserting her rights. Frankly, we've never been put in this sort of situation. However, Sarah is protected. However, Sarah is protected by and has rights under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Florida Department of Education rule, and then I state the rule number, and Florida statute number, and then I state the number, to have access to diabetes management while at school. Please see links and attachments below. And then I put links and attachments to all the federal and state laws that I just had listed above. That includes having someone at the school who has been trained to help her administer insulin injections, finger pricks, should her continuous glucose monitor fail, and glucagon in an emergent situation. The assistance does not have to be from a licensed nurse, but it does have to come from a trained member of the school staff. That can be anyone at the school who is willing to be trained and is available to help her. It does not have to be the person in charge of running the clinic. If there is no one who is willing or available to take on that responsibility, then someone will need to be hired. We are encouraging and helping guide Sarah to make smart decisions and administer her insulin shots independently. She is also already wearing a continuous glucose monitor, and we are utilizing technology to the greatest extent possible via remote monitoring of her blood glucose levels. However, she will need assurance and limited assistance from a trusted adult. The American Diabetes Association offers several resources and teaching tools that can be used in conjunction with official training from a licensed nurse or diabetes healthcare professional. And then I put a link to that resources page. An agency nurse can be hired to provide training, or I can contact her endocrinologist to see if they would be willing to send a nurse or qualified healthcare professional to come and train staff at the school. I have also spoken to the head of nursing at our county's public school system, and if need be, they are willing to send a nurse who can provide training to staff 
members. Regardless of the training that the school chooses, we will continue to work hand-in-hand with the school to develop a successful plan for Sarah and provide as much help as we possibly can. We, more than anyone, want Sarah and those in place to assist her to be successful. We want her to know that with a bit more thought and consideration, she can do just about anything a child without diabetes can do, and that includes going to school. While type 1 diabetes is a very serious medical condition and does require 24-7 management, we would love to sit down with you and clear up any misconceptions there may be regarding the level of care that is to be expected or required. Please let us know when you and your team is available to talk. And that's the end of the email. You guys have absolutely no idea how many times I proofread that email. (laughs) I I think I sat on it for about an entire week and read it multiple times a day and proofread it and tweaked it. I just wanted to make sure I had all my I's dotted and T's crossed. I hope that helps. I don't mind. I mean, I can take out names of our school and specifics of people and whatnot and include that in the show notes. If that would be helpful to any listener out there, I'd be more than happy to do that. I will also put Janelle's email in the show notes, which I think is extremely brave and gracious of her. You guys be kind to her. (laughs) She's going to wake up in the morning tomorrow and have about a million emails from desperate parents asking her to be their advocate at their 504 plan meeting. All right, that's it for our show today, everybody. I hope you have a fabulous week and we will chat soon. Thanks. Bye.